Hey there, Brad Beans. Jamie Dale here. This episode, episode 15, marks the first episode in my next series, Developer Doldrums, a series where I ask game developers all about what it's like to be neck deep in, you guessed it, the doldrums. What in tarnations does it mean to be in some doldrums, you hypothetical and lovingly inquisitive listener might ask? Well, they could mean they're stuck in an equatorial region of the Atlantic Ocean known for its strange combo of calms, sunstorms, and light, unpredictable winds. But it could also mean they're stuck in a state of inactivity, stagnation, or just plain old gloominess. In other words, they're in the freaking dumps. And as cool as it would be to interview game developers about their maritime strategies, this series is geared towards the latter, with me asking game developers all about the gloomy feels that come up when making a video game. It turns out, making play objects isn't all fun in games. Since game developers are humans, oddly enough, they still wrestle with things like anxiety, grief, bad reviews, sour fans, a lack of time, and just good old-fashioned depression. I'll be jumping around from different types of developers throughout the series, from a primarily one-woman-run studio, to a couple of pals with a successful Kickstarter campaign under their belt, to a woman who works for a large AAA studio. All three development environments are incredibly different, but it turns out the thing they all have in common is that even if there are some not-so-beautiful bits when it comes to game development, they, they love what they do. And speaking of beautiful bits, I've been making my own beautiful bits. I've been writing something called Tiny Letters. Tiny Letter is basically a newsletter service that allows me to send long-form emails to people who subscribe to the service. I'm a huge sucker for letters, and I've really been loving the opportunity to bond with y'all this way. It's totally free, and you can check it out over at tinyletter.com slash jamiedale. That's spelled J-A-Y-M-E-D-A-L-E. So uh, check it out. Subscribe. tinyletter.com slash jamiedale. Now, enough about my feelings. Let's get started with someone else's. And welcome to another episode of Gaming Broadcast, the official podcast of GamingBroadly.com. I'm your host, Jamie Dale, the main broad over at Gaming Broadly, and today we're here with Andrea Ayers, who is the main broad over at Lemon Sucker Games, actually. How are you, Andrea? Pretty good. How about you? Doing pretty well. I'm chilling out, talking to an amazing lady, so... Pish. That's two of my favorite things. In one, <laughs> in one thing, hanging out and talking to cool ladies. I mean, yeah, there there are definitely worse things that you could be doing. It's true, like exercising. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a worse thing to do. Um, for those of you who don't know, Andrea is the head writer at Lemon Sucker Games. She also writes about politics and representation in pop culture and beyond. And she enjoys the wonderful things such as coffee, cats, and phasing between interdimensional realities, which is, which is quite a claim. I, I kind of want to be like, prove it. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing. You can't. I could both be here and not here, perhaps. It could be like, <laughs> yeah, one of those type of deals. It's a Schlesinger's Andrea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until I, I open the box of the internet, no one will ever know. 
should be good. Um, so today Andrew is joining us, which I'm really excited for our series on developer doldrums and basically what makes developers sad, especially in the process of making these these wonderful play objects. And today we actually are going to talk about Andrew's game, The Average Everyday Adventures of Samantha Brown, which came out, was it 2015? Is that right? Mm, I want to say, oh my gosh, I should really know this, like off the top of my head. I want to say it was 2000. Sixteen. I can probably verify this, though. <laughs> I think it'll be. We'll link to it. Yeah, People I'm can not fact worried. check us at a later date. It came date. out not this year <laughs> and not last year, so sometime in the past. How about that? Sounds good. Yeah, I I was a QA tester for that game, so I think I might have gotten it before other people did. Yeah. So my timeline is. It's special. It's warped. This is what happens when you phase in between interdimensional realities. You have no <laughs> no concept of time. Uh, I wish my boss had no concept of time. I wish other people had no concept of time, but I still retain some sort of concept of time. I'm not sure why I wish that, but I'm sure that that would be something for a psychologist to investigate uh, because I'm sure that's something about me. Probably. Yeah. But you know what else a psychologist can investigate? What? Your game. Oh, touche. Touche. I know. You did a very nice tie-in. Yeah, I'm excited. Good segue. It's, it kind of ruins the uh, naturalness of it by me pointing out that it was a really good segue, but we're going to... We're gonna go with it. No, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta like claim to these things. Call it out. I say, name it. <laughs> I'm breaking the fourth wall and telling people exactly. that this is a constructed, this is a constructed conversation. <laughs> it's, it's not at all authentic. Uh, yeah. So, so tell me about the average everyday adventures of Samantha Brown. Kind of what led, what led to its creation. Okay. Um. So let me see. It is, I'll take you back to August 22nd of 2014. Uh, I. That's very specific for a time travel. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was sleeping and I kept on hearing a phone call and I just was, it was one of those things where you incorporate it into your dream. And so, um, I wasn't sure what was happening. It was super early and I, I pick up the phone and I just hear like a hang up and I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and then I, I realized that I had like a bunch of missed calls and, and my heart started pounding because I was like, something terrible has happened. It was, uh, cause I really, I saw that it was my brother Rob calling and, uh, he's not usually one to call me at 7.30 in the morning. So I was like, okay, what's going on? And, uh, I picked up my twin sister was calling and, I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And, uh, she just said, mom died. And I had a complete, like, out of body experience. And I just, all I remember is screaming in, like, the corner of our bedroom, uh, my bedroom being the one I share with my husband, Charlie. And, uh, that was it. I, I, there was like everything else is kind of 
complete blur. Um, and I went to, I like called Virgin America and I was like, I need to get home. And I was talking to this woman and she's like, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, I, I got, I gotta get home. And she's like, home is where? And Charlie like had to talk me through this experience. Cause it was just like, I couldn't process anything. I was not making any sense, but I, we went home and, um, my mom had, she had been diagnosed about seven months before with COPD, um, chronic obstruction pulmonary disease. Um, but she, she had it under control as much as that could be. And we, we had no idea, like, you know, how, bad it had gotten or if she was struggling with it because she was an extremely private person in the sense that she never wanted to know or other people to know that uh, she was suffering or hurt. Uh, she's someone who raised five kids, um, uh, went through the loss of her husband in 2001. He, my dad passed away from cancer. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer, uh, which had just it, by the end, it had taken over his whole body. And, um, so she had gone through that. She had lived through a brain aneurysm when I was seven. Uh, and that's not something a lot of people survive. So she was this incredibly strong woman who just fought every damn day to, to, to make her life as good as it could be and the life of her children. Um, my brother, Mike, and my sister, Elena, uh, both lived with my mom still because they have um, disabilities. Uh, Mike is autistic. Elena has um, different learning disabilities and processing disorders. So my mom was still their primary caregiver. Uh, so it wasn't just like there were adult children losing their mom. It was, uh, you know, my mom, the, the woman who was my best friend. Um, and I say that completely like unironically, like she, she and I were incredibly close and, uh, as you tend to be with your mom. Um, but it's always the, the hope. Yeah, I think. exactly. <laughs> yeah, true. Not everyone has that experience. I was incredibly lucky in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it was just this like realization that, uh, one, um, our mom was gone and two, Mike and Elena were going to have to move in with either me or my older sister, Heather, or perhaps Rob. And like, we just, there were all of these questions that were up in the air and, uh, to get to the, the germ of your actual question, um, why, why I'm talking so specifically about her, struggle to kind of shield us from how she felt and how sick she was is because like having gone through everything that she went through, we never heard her talk about her mental health. And she was incredibly opposed to going to counseling or therapy of any kind. Um, multiple times, my older sister and I had brought it up to her, um, 
like, you know, mom, you've experienced all this loss and, you know, you deal with raising uh, two adult children who are in need of constant care and you have to work. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where if she didn't want to talk to us, which I understand as a parent, you may not want to to be that open with your children about your mental health issues um, and just... Yeah, we just tried to encourage her to seek uh, outward help and she just, she couldn't and she wouldn't and we didn't have any idea, uh, how she had been struggling with her COPD and her inhalers and, um, just, not really understanding the healthcare system and when she could go to a doctor or when she couldn't and she was scared and uh it's we didn't find this out until after she passed and um i was there uh we lived in the suburbs of chicago in this small western town called darien illinois um we had moved to Westmont after shortly after my dad passed away, um, which is, this is neither here nor there, but it's like five minutes from, from Darien. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> so we were like packing up all of our stuff and it was like a month after she had passed away. And we went up to see my dad's mom who uh, is still with us. She's like 90, seven now and she's a tank of a woman she's like amazing um but this was a few years ago and i just like wasn't feeling good that day and i was like oh my gosh like i you know i dismissed it and i just like thought it was some sort of stomach bug but then i kept on having this terrible pain and i was like oh my gosh like something is wrong with me like uh I have felt bad in my life, but this was a pain that like, as the day progressed, I was like doubled over and I was like, I'm either having a psychotic break and I'm making this up in my head or like my 10 years, what I had really thought is like 10 years of laxative abuse has resulted in like my insides (laughs) imploding. And so I... Neither of those options are good. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, either way, I, I probably need to go to the hospital. And I was terrified because I hadn't told my husband up that I was still taking laxatives. Um... And it was, uh, like a moment and my older sister, basically no one knew I was still taking laxatives. Everyone had kind of thought that I gave them up, uh, years ago. And do you mind me asking, um, what the laxatives were for? I just thought that they were good ways to control like weight, um, I became really obsessed with weight and control after my dad passed away um, and just looking for a way to kind of uh, navigate this new world without my dad and like focusing on what I ate uh, or what I didn't eat uh, became a way for me to do that. And I have been an ang- like an anxiety ridden human being for the majority of my life. Like I've just have always tried to 
find something to like grasp onto to make myself less anxious. And for a long time, that was laxatives. Um, and I can't exactly explain how that worked in my head, like how that logical reasoning happened, but it did. And it was there and it was very strong. Uh, so it's like we get home from my grandmother's and Charlie comes over and I was like, we got to go to the ER. And it was just one of those things where I was wanted to be rid of the burden of carrying around that secret. And I was convinced I was like, this is my mom's doing. I was like, my mom is making this happen because she doesn't want me to take laxatives anymore. So I just like, we get into the emergency room. And I just start telling everyone, I was like, I've taken laxatives for like 10 years. And they're like, wait, what? We don't even know what's wrong with you yet. Can you <laughs> hold on? <laughs> and I just got it. Let us at least look at your stomach first. Yeah, and I was like, no, no, no. This is definitely, definitely laxatives. It's, it was like, was it like strangers in the elevator? Yeah, just like, like definitely any, not doctors. Yeah, just, and just, anyone. just like anyone that would listen to me. It was like a, a <laughs> you know, a disrobing, if you will. Um, so it wasn't actually that I had a gallstone <laughs> because I, <laughs> I was, um, they were like, all ev like every woman in my family had gallstones at some point, and most women have had their gallbladder taken out, and uh, so that's what that was. But um, after finally admitting to laxative abuse and to being on this journey of dealing with my mom's death, I decided to go to therapy, um, and part of the process of working through, you know. Uh, basically abusing laxatives and other pills to control weight. Um, it's a form of like binging and purging. Uh, I was like, I convinced myself that like it wasn't an eating disorder because I didn't stick like my finger down my throat. And I was like, no, 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 it's not like that. Like I don't have that kind of eating disorder. Um, but apparently, uh, no, still, still qualifies as an eating disorder. Um, so <laughs> it I, checks all the boxes. It definitely did. <laughs> um, my therapist and I had worked through like what my core beliefs about myself were and, those were basically like, well, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid that people will think I'm stupid. I'm afraid that like the only value I have in this world is like what I look like. So it was years of just like on or, you know, months of unpacking years of these core beliefs about myself and a way to address those beliefs. Um, my therapist and I decided to like for me to challenge them directly. And the way I was going to do that was by making a game because something that I had done is become super obsessed with people on Twitter who made games. And then I, <laughs> I would just ruminate on how successful these people were and how unsuccessful I was. And that would cause me to think, see, you can never be like them. You're never going to be as good as them. There's no point in trying. So why don't you just focus on what you are good at? And that's controlling, you know, quote unquote, controlling your weight or, um, yeah, like those, like how much you eat. And, uh, so that is how I started to make the game. It was kind of, I know that was 
like 20 minutes of a very sordid tale into how this game actually got made. But that was the <laughs> impetus for it. It was like my mom's death, the realization that I was totally and hopelessly like kind of fucked um, and needed help. And because my mom was never able to ask for the help she needed, uh, I just became scared that I would end up always being too afraid to ask for that help myself and um, finally asking for help and getting help uh, enabled me to open up enough to see that I could actually try to make a game and if it failed or if it succeeded was less the point than just actually engaging in the process of making it. I mean, I think... Longness aside, which is, I actually love storytelling, so I feel like I'm like sitting at your feet now, like <laughs> observing this wonderful story. But I mean, it's such a great tale of how when we when we think of games, I think oftentimes people don't know some of the like interpersonal things that are happening behind the scenes that lead to the the germ of a game. Mm -hmm. I think, as you so eloquently put it earlier, and I, I think your story of grief and loss and of anxiety and coming to terms with that and then wanting to to present that in a a very unique and kind of new medium because uh, you yourself are a writer yeah outside I, of I, outside of game making yeah i definitely would consider myself like a writer first that's you know uh when i was in a young and a young folk and like first or second grade, I, I constantly lied, um, just about everything. My teachers just couldn't stand it because I would lie about being able to do like triple axles or like whatever. <laughs> like it didn't matter. I was just, I lied about it. So they put me in a creative writing class because they thought I needed like a creative outlet to get me to stop lying to everyone. Um, so that was like my first brush with writing and and I loved it and I always have loved it. Um, but I love that writing started out as a way for you to lie, but then you told, I mean, you, you write these wonderful memoirs and in fact, the game itself is kind of not, not memoir-ish, not, ugh, that's a wrong word, not memoir exactly, but it, it it's related to an experience that experiences that you had in college. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So I went to um, college in Coventry, England at the University of Warwick for uh, for writing, no less. And um, <laughs> this was my first actual dorm experience. And the game kind of explores, you know, being away from home and being someone who considers themselves like painfully awkward and like socially awkward and like always assumes that everyone else is talking about them and um, kind of I wanted to kind of depict this character Samantha Brown and in perhaps a light that is uncomfortable for people uh, that makes you think oh man this character is you know kind of annoying or like uh, irksome or like why can't they just get their shit together and go make some oatmeal in their damn dorm like this can't be <laughs> that serious um but uh yeah so for people who don't know like what the game is about or what i'm even talking about it's samantha brown is 
it, the game opens with her sitting in her room and the point of the game is to go make oatmeal in the communal kitchen of her dorm. Um, the kind of background story of that is, uh, and what I didn't realize until after, like, I was in the process of making the game and my therapist was like, uh, Andrea, why oatmeal? Like, what is it about oatmeal? And I was like, well, I just, one, I brought oatmeal from home in my luggage. Like, <laughs> so for a while until my student loan money came through, it was the only thing I had. Um, and I have... I have a long history of like becoming weirdly obsessed with hot cereals. Like, uh, my mom used to make me oatmeal as a kid and she would always put like, uh, a tab of butter and like just a silly amount of sugar on top. So it was less, less of breakfast thing as like dessert. Um, <laughs> like, and so D dessert for breakfast exactly. instead of breakfast for dinner. Yeah. And so I think, uh, there was a lot of like the process of creating oatmeal and eating oatmeal reminded me of like, you know, these really happy times with my mom. So it was like a self soothing thing. So it's interesting to me looking back on it that I decided to make a game, uh, as very meta, like about self soothing in a way, uh, which was self soothing in itself. Um, <laughs> so it's soothing all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah. So with the, with the game, there's actually a lot of I mean, it, you bring up self-soothing, but there's a lot of self-talk mm -hmm. in the game from from the perspective of Samantha Brown. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, most of the game is just her internal dialogue with herself and trying to convince herself uh, that she is able to make oatmeal or perhaps not. It's kind of up for the, the player to decide. Um, and I can distinctly recall like i mean this this very this internal dialogue like this debate happened to me anytime i had to go into the kitchen because i was so afraid of seeing someone and having them talk to me and being like either trapped in a conversation or not knowing what to say to them or uh just being terrified that they were like going to talk about me with like the other flatmates. And I just wanted to avoid that at all costs. I just assumed that always everyone was judging me. Uh, so I, so yeah, so there's a lot of self-talk and, uh, and exploration of like, you know, the massive amount of internal hatred that I had for myself at this period of time in my life. It's funny because I, I feel like as the player, you're when you play the game, you're given this option to either like accept Samantha's internal, not accept as in like say like yeah you are stupid, but I'm thinking of when you come across there's people in the kitchen and you're given the option of either kind of forcing Samantha to do this thing she doesn't want to do, which is talk to these people, mm -hmm. or like give her permission to be anxious and say it's it's okay you don't. You don't have to if you don't want to, which is, is interesting because the game was kind of giving yourself permission to also, like, feel sad. Yeah, I think that was um, – that's something else I spent a lot of time, like, understanding in terms of my journey through therapy and, like, learning who I am is that I 
constantly had and continue obviously to have this struggle with, um, you know, these sides of myself that I am or had a lot of shame about. So like, you know, we're told, you know, you don't be anxious. You should be outgoing and like enigmatic and like gregarious. And, um, but I don't always feel that way. And I, I'm scared in general of people. Like I get real nervous about it. But, uh, when you're constantly told, you know, growing up that, oh, you're shy and, you know, oh, you're, you're so cute and, oh, you're so shy. Your face is getting red. And like, uh, which was, I mean, every time I spoke in class, you know, my face would turn very red. I would like, sometimes I'd hyperventilate and like, I'd have to like remove myself from the classroom. And, but it becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts where like everyone tells you you're shy, embarrassed and anxious. And then you're like, I am those things. Oh my gosh, why am I that way? That's the wrong way to be. And so then it just becomes an internal dialogue of, of, oh, well, that's the wrong way to be. And you should be ashamed of those things. So actually like the process of therapy kind of taught me like, oh, those aren't actually things you have to be ashamed of. Everyone has... Um, in this book, there's nothing wrong with you. I should look up the author. Uh, I can't remember her name right now, but it's this great book about like people, everyone thinks they have all of these things wrong with them. But what if you just said, maybe there isn't anything wrong with me. Maybe these different sides of myself, even, you know, this eating disorder voice, as it's often called, um, which is really dark and kind of twisted. What if you didn't hate that, but you tried to use it to consult with and say, what is this voice actually trying to tell me? Like, what is my anxiety trying to tell me? Uh, what is my fear of going into the kitchen trying to tell me? And what if I just accepted those things for what they were and stopped trying to fight against them? Because it's that constant fight um, that ended up getting me into um, positions of like being mentally unhealthy and physically unhealthy. Um, it, the constant battle with myself over who I am, uh, as opposed to just accepting who that person is, learning to embrace that person and show them compassion. Um, that's something my mom was never able to do. And, uh, I, it was just the, like admitting that you could, uh, be, a deeply flawed person and that you didn't have to be perfect, but that didn't mean that you deserve to beat yourself up constantly. I think those were kind of the, the issues that I was trying to, you know, very, very scratch the surface of, if you will, with the game. Yeah. I mean, it's this idea that sometimes helping people doesn't mean fixing them. Yeah. And with Andrea, or not with Andrea, ooh, that was a, that was a slip with Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. With Samantha, you don't, you don't fix her at the end. I think that's, um, I was reading through some reviews of the game, and most of them are glowing, and I find that a lot of people who reviewed it and talked about it were able to relate or empathize or, or find moments of humanness to, to unite over. But some of the people are like, well, does she still have anxiety? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, like, the answer is Yes. Yes, Samantha does still have anxiety, but she has oatmeal now, hopefully, if you, well, exactly. if you played it right. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, there are those times, like, in our lives where, like, I did successfully make oatmeal, uh, in, 
IRL, like in a different particular moment when I was at school. And like, I was still nervous. I still like sweat through my pajamas in like a really kind of gross way. Uh, cause I get anxiety sweats and I just like pours down my armpits, which is a lot of information for everyone. Um, <laughs> but I was still so happy. I was like, I made oatmeal and like, yes, I, I had to go through all of these things before, but I'm here in my room. I'm safe and I have oatmeal and it may or may not be fully cooked, but that's not the point. And like tomorrow <laughs> it may be just as difficult to do the same thing. Uh, but I'm focused on like this moment of happiness. And I, I really like one of the things that fascinated me the most uh, in terms of people's reactions to the game is when people were angry at her, um, at the character or like they couldn't grapple with understanding why, like how Samantha could both be in college and be unable to make food. And, uh, I think that that is very interesting because f mental illness, like, uh, you know, is not some sort of like monolith. And I think we just think of it as, well, if you can't do this one specific thing, then you must be poor at all of these other aspects of your life. We just think that mental illness presents itself in a way that is uh, very obvious to those around us because of the word, I think, illness. And People believe that illnesses are uh, easily observable. Uh, like when we are sick because we feel it and we often like sick with a cold or a flu, like there are various physical uh, denotations of that. And so when we attach, like when we say illness, people have this like... I think there's something there where people expect it to be extremely obvious. Uh, and when it's not, or when it presents itself in these really kind of different uh, ways and ways where people are able to live and conduct a completely quote unquote normal life or productive life in other ways, and then just unravel totally in um, like from making food or from having to like go outside, uh, their dorm room. Um, I think that that brushes up against what people conceive of as like mental well-being and, and mental health. So I, I loved what you said about mental health being kind of this thing in which you exist in because like, I was thinking about when people mistook the point of the game as having Samantha not have anxiety anymore mm -hmm. when the goal was actually to make oatmeal. Yeah. And when you think of games, you, you think of them as, or maybe people don't, but I do, I think of them as like worlds, right? So there's worlds that are built on systems and environmental rules that dictate what is and isn't possible. And so like anxiety in this sense is the world in which Samantha is living. And it's not the goal or the objective or the, the enemy per se. It's just, it's the thing that allows for certain actions to take place. Mm -hmm. And so your goal is to get oatmeal and you have to do that within the confines of this system known as anxiety. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually such, I, I think, um, the way I've always, the way I view, okay, this is like, here's another little journey into my mental <laughs> states. Um, I, yes, speak into the void. Bring yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> I have always viewed like games and books as like 
they they exist far before you ever open the book and far long after and i uh i just imagine them as like a book or a game being like like a a glimpse into this world but when you close that like I don't know. I just imagine that it continues on. Uh, I've always kind of felt that way about, like, I don't even know where I'm going with this, man. Um, But I feel like I'm the person who, like, just smoked pot for the first time and is, like, having a revelation. They're like, but what if everything has always existed forever? Um, I mean, you are an interdimensional time traveler, so. You're on brand. Oh, good. Well, at least there's that. I wouldn't want to degradate my brand. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think that I actually had a particular point. I just wanted to say, uh, I do agree with you with like what you say about the world. Like it, the point of the game was never to fix anything. It's just to, you know, explore these edges of anxiety and of what does it mean to, to have success and also still be, uh, you know, still have these other mental health issues because like I will always be dealing with my eating disorder. Like every single day I have uh, negative self-talk that comes up. Um, I still judge myself incredibly harshly. And uh, especially if I don't do like my mental health check-ins, which is like, Hey Andrea, how are you feeling today? And, uh, And for a long time, like understanding my feelings at all were um, impossible for me. Like when people would say, how are you feeling? I would be like, what do you even friggin' mean by that? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, um, yeah. So I think to come to some sort of point, uh, no, actually I can't, I can't actually come to a point. I'm just going to stop talking. And then throw it back to you. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's like I'm playing catch and someone's like, oh, gosh, I've been holding this ball. Yeah, I'm just like, I can't. I can't. I'm just going to toss it, which is hilarious because like hot potato. that is exactly how I play any sport. I'm like, oh, no, the balls come to me. I don't want it. I'm just going to throw it. Throw it on the ground. <laughs> I, I'm, it's like um, the floor is lava, only the ball is lava. Yeah, I don't think I've actually played a quote-unquote sport since high school when um, they wouldn't allow the girls to play like flag football. So we had something, I can't remember what it was called, but it was some sort of combination of soccer basketball and football and it was uh supposed to be like less aggressive for girls um and you just like passed a football back and forth based on like a a soccer like formation into an elevated net and uh (laughs) that was one of the most ridiculous things i've ever done in my life and i couldn't believe that That was like, they were like, no, flag football, that's too much. Let's create this completely arbitrary thing uh, for girls to play because they're not allowed to to grab hold of flags. I don't know. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Anyway, 
not not a sports fan over here. Not a sports fan. Uh, no, it's it's uh my sister was always very good at sports and that resulted in me doing everything but sports in an attempt to to carve my own niche. But I have a question. Yeah. I thought of it oh, while we were talking about sports. Perfect. Yeah. So it's what was it like to to build this this world? I I know you mentioned believing it existed before it was made and exists now that it's already out there. But what did it feel like to be part of that that process, especially since it was so weighted with feelings? Um, you know, it was really I really enjoyed the process of it. I mean, uh something that I I particularly liked was writing um code. Uh I enjoyed the fact that I could figure out if something was wrong um, immediately because uh, I would go to compile it and it would be like, it's broke. And I would be like, <laughs> oh no. And, uh, but getting that immediate feedback, I was like, this is so much better than writing like an article and just like not knowing ever if it like works or doesn't. And it just exists in this kind of limbo state. Um, and it became a way for me to like, uh, every single day I would have a set of goals that I would try to accomplish. And, um, that became a really positive thing for me to do because, uh, I was achieving these goals and that was a form of positive self-reinforcement for me. And I would say, uh, and, and it was something I was doing for myself. I wasn't trying to get external validation. Um, and that was a very different avenue for me to take because uh, most of my life I've just been trying to get external validation because that was the only way I valued anything I did. Um, so doing something purely for me, even though it sounds kind of narcissistic, uh, it, it was such a departure from anything I had really ever done. Um, and to take the risk every day of like knowing that maybe I wouldn't be able to figure out something or maybe something would break, uh, but still pushing ahead uh, was a challenge and one that I just really enjoyed, which surprised me quite a bit. I love that this thing that started as this I mean, you took a game that intended started from sadness, but became very um, happy. I don't want to say happy. Happy always sounds very superficial. Content, meaningful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was. Uh, you know, I am especially when it comes to myself. I'm like a hardcore pessimist. Um, so, like, I. <laughs> You know, I didn't softcore gamer, hardcore <laughs> pessimist. Oh my gosh, it's my new Twitter tagline. <laughs> I'm here all week, guys. I'm here all week. Um, that I should put that on my business card, like hand that out to people. Uh, uh, hired immediately. Um, but yeah, I think you know I had been in such a low place that I was like, well. It can't get much worse. And that was something like 
I bring up my therapist constantly because she was obviously instrumental in this entire process, but she would be like, Andrea, what's, what's the worst that can happen with this? Like you've already experienced like lost and like, even if the game fails completely and miserably, is it worse than, you know, losing your parents? And I was like, well, no. And it's like, so why wouldn't you push forward? And so anytime I came to like a challenging part, and for me, I'm, I'm that person who always gets extremely excited at the beginning of a project and at the very end, but the middle I struggle like hell with. Um, cause I'm always like, well, why do you work this way? And why can't you be like them? And there's so much more efficient and why aren't you a completely different human being um i don't know why, why are you you andrea why do you why are you, you why am i me um so every time i would like have those thoughts i would be like oh okay is that a legitimate thought or am i just trying to derail myself because i'm uncomfortable with um you know whatever happens to be happening in my life. Like, and, and usually it was me trying to like derail myself for whatever reason. I I've done a lot of self-sabotage in my life and, uh, and yeah, just having the tools, like going to therapy and dealing with everything that I had dealt with before gave me the tools to confront the, the tougher parts of like the development process for, for me, which was like, um, the middle refinement of it and made like slogging through, uh, you know, changes. And I, at one point, like someone made this comment, uh, during like QA and they were like, well, why doesn't this happen? And I went through a thing where I just started like rewriting all of the dialogue and Charlie was like, Hey, Andrea, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, and, but I was finally in a place where like that comment, uh, from Charlie, like, instead of being like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. I was like, Oh, you're right. Actually, I'm letting this other feedback impact me. Um, and so, yeah, it came from a sad place, but it, it was the process of doing it was, uh, really cathartic and filled with a lot of learning about myself and like why I behaved in certain ways. And it became like this avenue of like holding a mirror up to myself and being like, Oh, huh. That's why I do that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. Um, the middle bits were what you focused on. Cause the title of the game is kind of the middle bits of, of life. I mean, that's not actually the title of the game, but I'm translating average everyday adventures to, the middle bits. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's like, yeah, it's not, yeah, because it's average. It's like the, you know, the middle, it's not the most exciting thing, you know, it's, it's not, and it's interesting too that you like join Samantha, like already in progress, essentially, like you don't get a lot of background as to why or how or who um, she exactly is and what has contributed to her anxiety. Um, and when you leave, like, you don't really know, like, well, will she make a friend or like, hello, <laughs> is she going to like be able to eat, you know, food? Um, so yeah, I, I just like the idea of exploring the middle 
And um, I don't know why exactly. I just really enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, she's she's in the middle of school. Yeah. She's in the middle of a conversation. I think she might even be in the middle of a show. I feel like there was Ooh, a show. Yeah, there playing. is a show. That was that was Which a, was delightful to listen to. That is a when I, that was so I had like used um this website for you know, I I've financed it myself, so I didn't have like a ton of budget for like sound stuff. So I bought like I can't remember what the website's name was now, but they had like affordable sounds and I had looked up like TV show in their search box and that particular sound bite came up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect because it's so weird. And then setting it to uh, the particular scene that it's set with, I really like that juxtaposition because it's just bizarre. Um, yeah. It was really good. I think it was also about a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. It was which, about. Which is intriguing also now that I've had this conversation oh, with you. Man. These, these themes that are radiating. You are your, pointing out things game. that I have not even. Realized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my, that's my business card. Mm-hmm. Pointing out, pointing out things. <laughs> and there are worse <laughs> business cards to have. It's true. Like real estate agent. I'm just kidding to all my real estate. I'm kidding to all my people who are in real estate. You do a lovely service and give people places to live. Very kind of you. Yeah, you don't want the real estate trolls coming after you. I hear <laughs> bad things. I, I, I'm an anti-troll in terms of like a anti-perspirant. Like I want to... You just to prevent from happening. Yeah, understood. Not anti is an anti their existence. No, they can. I I totally know what you mean. Thank you. So, in, in terms of games and mental health, mm-hmm. are is there other things about gaming that have helped? I don't want to say helped or hindered, maybe impacted. I don't know the relationships between mental health and gaming for you. I'll leave it vague. I. So I've always had like this, what I kind of view as a complicated relationship with games. Um, I used to video game a lot growing up, like with my twin sister, especially um, until she beat me at a game. And I was so offended that my twin sister could beat me at a game and I wasn't able to like handle her being better at me. Uh, better than me at something that I like stop playing games um, because fascinating yeah I've just I insight into, yeah. into young Andrew oh yeah she was a beast um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted so much to be good at something like really good I thought unless I could be really good at something there wasn't any point in me doing it so um Games have taught me that, like, guess what? There are things you're going to be real bad at, like real bad. And you can either confront it and try to get through it, or you can let it 
destroy your experience. And I've constantly had to come up against that through like, obviously almost every game I've ever played. Uh, cause that's usually what games are about. Like, Hey, here's a challenge. Can you face it? Can you find the tools you need to, uh, confront it and deal with it or find a workaround? Uh, and that for me is what my relationship to my mental health has been like, can you confront it or are you going to avoid it? Uh, and for many, 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 many decades. Okay. Okay. Like 20, um, no, not 20 decades, 20 years. It's <laughs> like, wow, you look very good for your like, age. Whoa. That skin smoothing system's really working. Um, thanks, Revlon. Your, yeah, oh, I was just going to say the L'Oreal tagline instead of Revlon. Mm. Oh, there goes that branding opportunity for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so games for me have been a way to not only explore like failure and failing miserably over and over and over again. Um, like for instance, I love playing destiny. This is something I, you know, we have not talked deeply about, but we've expressed our mutual interest in, but I have been so terrified of playing like multiplayer that for destiny one, I, I didn't play any at all, like any of the multiplayer stuff. Um, I just did, I did so many patrols. I probably spent more than 200 or 300 hours just doing patrols, like the same patrols over and over and over again. So like when destiny two came out and they were like talking about the patrol lovers, I was like, Oh my gosh, they're probably just looking at the data for me. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, because I was skewing the data. I was that person, but, um, (laughs) but then it was like, what was really nice about destiny, is that it allowed me to explore the game in the way that I wanted to explore it in the way that I could at that particular time. And now that I'm like more comfortable with, um, you know, more confrontational things. And I realize that like failing in a game doesn't mean I am failing in life. Uh, I'm able to explore different parts of destiny too now. Um, and like, Being comfortable with failure has been one of the most challenging things of my life because I'm so not comfortable with it. Uh, still, like I, I, you know, I would be the person who, I mean, I nearly broke up a friendship. Uh, okay. Truth be told, I did break up a friendship of mine. Like my literal best friend in high school, I, got so upset with her because we were doing this, um, mock presidential election. I was of course running for president because what (laughs) was I not going to? And I was a Democrat and my friend was California, uh, representing the state of California. And I, I wanted her 53 electoral votes. And, um, at the time, this is like 2000, one and she decided to give them to the Republican candidate. And I was like, you're doing this because you hate me. And I remember having this incredible argument with her that I never friggin' forgave her for in this like simulation because I thought I was going to fail. And, uh, 
And yeah, so like, I mean, it just ballooned into this huge thing. Um, and yeah, we stopped like being friends and we didn't speak for like 12 years basically from that moment. Uh, so confronting failure is like, that is the, the very core of a lot of my, my, uh, battles in life. Um, so playing games helps me do that and become comfortable with that. And in a way that feels safe for me. I think I, I resonate with that a lot. I feel like failure in games for a lot of people doesn't I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. It comes up a lot when I talk to people who don't like playing games is that they don't like the fact that it is built in that they will fail and by fail they mean die often I think it's interesting that we associate failing with dying in video games but yeah they they don't like that feeling of failure and I I think it's kind of this delicate entryway into games or like starting with games that maybe have low risk of failure and like working your way up to to something like Destiny. I mean, I, I love Destiny also for how it treats failure. Like, it, there's different levels. Like, there's some moments where failing will set you back really far, and then there's other ones that dying does zero things except make you have to sit patiently for 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which can sometimes seem like freaking forever. I'm like, come on. I'll just, like, mash the revive button. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and speaking of mental, like, and anxiety and thinking about social anxiety. There's parts of Destiny that remind me. Have you ever played Journey? No. That's totally fine. I'm just curious. I can still. You sounded so sad. I'm sorry. I, I feel so, like I need well, to comfort you. I, <laughs> I you always feel. I feel like. Yeah. This is this is something. I like whenever people say like, "Oh, have you ever done this or read this?" And I say no. I'm like, "Oh no." And then I feel immediately. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm a." I'm X. Like I just had a mental judgment of myself there that you got to to witness. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, see, and in my mind, I get to be like, awesome! I get to like tell her about this thing. Oh, great! Um, see, now it's super exciting. Well, so it's an opportunity for me. But in in Journey, it's it's multiplayer, but only in the vaguest sense of that. When you play, sometimes there will be other players in the world with you, and you can't communicate with them except through like some basic chirps, chirping. Basically, there's like chirping and like moving around. And there's parts of Destiny if you don't, there's parts of Destiny if you don't do the multiplayer chat that you are with other people, but you're not, you don't have to interact with them if you don't want mm -hmm. to. And you only have like those four interaction options at any given point, like pointing, waving, dancing. And I like, I like that, like when, you are initially like involved in interaction for the first time with a player that it is kind of based on this. It can be a more positive thing. Like you can't, or I guess I've always like, okay, going up to this player and dancing or like, you know how in destiny one, there's the, the ball that you could kick around, mm, like yeah, yeah. doing that and just having those like impromptu moments with other players felt like the most pure kind of when you would be at the park as a kid and all of a sudden there would be other kids coming up with you 
uh, you know, like maybe you knew, maybe you didn't, they were just kids from the neighborhood. And then you'd be like, Oh, well you're here. I'm here. Let's play. And, um, I think that is what I like the most. Um, those kind of interactions, uh, that feel, I don't know, really positive and invoke this, this lost kind of, experience that I, I tend to miss from childhood. Like when those experiences happen in destiny or like, uh, I just, I I get real happy about them. They make me feel good. (laughs) I I made a tweet about this earlier, but I, destiny two is, I feel like the 21st digital translation of kicking a can around. Yeah. Like, there are, sometimes you have a purpose like, oh, I got to get new gear. I got to raise my power level, which always sounds funny to me when I say, or I have to finish the story. But sometimes you're like, I'm just going to putz around with my friend and look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Or like kick the, literally kick a ball around. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of I like love games that. like that. Me They're too. good. I, I, I think it's a nice combination of the fighter. I, I think Bree Code has been talking about this dichotomy, but it's a nice combination of fight or flight and mm. tend and befriend. Yeah, like you are befriending other people and tending to those relationships, but you can also do the. The shooty, shooty. Yeah. And I like shooterson activities. Yeah. I, I very much enjoy that part of it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, well, now we just need to stop talking and go play Destiny. I know. I, I literally thought the same thing. <laughs> I think that's a great way to start segueing into. So if people wanted to to keep up with you and kind of what you were doing, what, what's the best way to, to do that? Oh, wait. I forgot. Before we do that. I just remembered you're going to be at Indicade October sixth through eighth. Uh no, I'm I'm. Or your game will be right. No, my game was there last year. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I that's wish exciting. I wish I was going to be time traveling, but that's kind of exciting. Yeah, your game was there last year. Yeah. Indicade's not a joke. No, it was. That was so much fun. Um, it, because that, that was the first time I had ever been around people playing my game in front of my face in real life. Um, and that was a particular challenge for me because um, normally I just hear or like see people typing things to me and, you know, I still get to view that feedback on my own time and my own terms. But um, when you're there watching people like give you feedback in public, uh, I was like, whoa, I got to be ready for anything like they could hate it. Um, but it turns <laughs> out um, not that horrifying and actually pretty cool. Like, uh, the one thing I constantly am reminding myself is everyone's human and you are too, and you can make mistakes and, um, you can falter and, uh, get back up again. And it, it doesn't mean you are Satan. Um, so that's (laughs) something I like to tell myself from time to time, but, yeah, I wish I was going to be an indicate this year. I want that post year. note on my mirror. You are not Satan. Yeah, you are not the devil. Um, Reminder. <laughs> I'm going to be at uh, Comic-Con in New York City October 4th through the 8th, though. And that'll be fun because I'm looking forward to going to a bunch of panels for that. Yeah, that's exciting. You you are doing a lot of writing on comics these days. Yeah. Is that right? I, uh, I have been really like down in the, what I would call the 
the whole of comic studies, which I mean, I've always been one of those people interested in rhetoric, uh, language, media theory, uh, just like I really love that stuff and I could really get into it. And so exploring those uh, topics through the lens of comics. Oh, yeah, that's that's my jam. Um, (laughs) So I'm really, really, really excited to go um, and see more people talk about diversity in comics and, you know, where that's heading or where we need to improve. Uh, those are conversations I'm super interested in. And, and I'm trying to think if I have anything else, uh, coming up, not to my knowledge, but, uh, is there plans for Samantha Brown too? So as, uh, I am like halfway through writing it and I got, real derailed um post election because I got real down on the dumps. Um but I would like to finish it. I'm talking with the artist who did all of the work for the first Samantha Brown. Um and I really like she's interested in helping on this one and so I really want to finish it. Um there are other things that I cannot announce yet, but that I am excited about. Um, so exciting. Uh, they should uh, follow your Twitter. Yeah, right? they for, should. For when you're able to announce that. Yeah. Is that, uh, Miss AF Ayers? Yeah. Miss A-F-A-Y-R-E-S. I n- clearly, when I made my Twitter account, I never saw myself getting married because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's in stone. Yeah. I'm like, well, I can't put it stone. now. Good grief. And Mrs. 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 Sounds always so fascinating. You, you, um, you publish a lot on Comics Beat. Yeah. Is that right? I do that. And I, um, I have got some other things in the pipeline at other places, but they're not out yet. Um, and I, um, yeah, those are pri- my primary publishing locations. On Twitter, you can generally expect uh, a lot of non sequiturs, um, uh, political commentary, and everything else that really everyone loves to read about <laughs> on Twitter.com. You're basically Twitter. Yeah, ba- except minus... <laughs> non sequiturs and politics. Yeah, true. I Every time I'm like... I don't realize how often I tweet until like I look at my husband's feed or like when he's scrolling through his Twitter, I'm just like, oh man, it's just like all of my tweets and retweets. And I was like, I got to slow my roll on this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm not the best at Twitter. I'm getting better. But I'd like to think, by the way, that since you said Samantha Brown 2 is in the works, that me saying you're going to be at Indicade was... It was foreshadowing. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I was I was time traveling. Yeah, you you just. So I'm not wrong. I'm just early. Exi- Touche. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on. Are there any final words that you'd like to share before we we sign off and say goodbye? Um, I guess the only thing I would like to say is, uh, yeah. Just don't be so hard on yourself, everyone. And, you know, one thing, um, when I am most critical of other people or when I'm engaged in like judgment of other people, uh, 
I find that that's been judgments about myself or like fears that I have about myself. And when it comes to being online and living in a world where we are constantly engaged electronically, um, and it's very easy to make those judgments, uh, I really try to remember that everyone is going through and experiencing their own journey and on their own path. And I try really hard to have compassion for, uh, people. And, uh, I don't know if that's, I'm not trying to be like, Hey, this is how you should live your life. But, um, that's something I, I like to remember because I think, uh, we could all use a little bit more of that, especially today. Yeah. <laughs> Remembering that we're all, we're all in the middle bits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That you was. Like it? I'm on a roll today. What's going on? That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Magnifique. Uh, wonderful. Well, my dear listeners, I think we're going to roll off and sign off, leave you on a, on a hook, line, and sinker of, of positivity. <laughs> so rare for two pessimists to right to come together to end on a hopeful note it's like i'm i'm pessimistic some like about myself but like i'm really optimistic about like life and other people which i don't know if that even translates or makes sense but <laughs> that's how i truly feel <laughs> Well, folks, please go out and play Andrew's game. It is wonderful. It's available for free on Steam. So you have no excuse, not e- not even the the very real monetary excuse that prevents me from playing many other games. So go check it out and and let me know about games and mental health. I realize that's a huge topic, but if any of you have have added any experience with how games have helped you I guess, come to terms with a quirk about yourself that maybe was, was hard to admit at first. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. I, I think those stories of humanness are probably my favorite when it comes to video games. And, and on that note, I'm going to say goodbye, everyone. Have a, have a lovely day. And thanks, Andrea, so much for coming on. As always, you are one of my favorite humans to talk to. I'm so very happy that you chose to come and spend an hour with me on my show. Thanks for listening to me talk for an hour. I don't know the last (laughs) time I had the opportunity to do that. So thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. You can come and sling feelings on my show at any time. You're always welcome. (laughs) All right, everyone. Bye. Bye.